Welcome to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast, where facts, logic, and reasoning are at the forefront of every conversation. And in this episode, we're going to talk about men, are you the pilot or passenger of your finances? We will discuss how you pay and manage your bills in your home. Are the expenses on autopilot? Do you pay your bills electronically? Give a definition of the 50-30-20 rule of budgeting. How to use the 50-30-20 rule of budgeting as a strategy for your finances. And lastly, we will talk about how you can use the 50-30-20 rule to prepare for retirement. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we delve deep into this issue. Welcome back to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast. And like I did say in the intro, we're going to talk about men and their finances, particularly are you in charge of them or are you letting someone else run them for you or not paying attention to them? That why That is the reason why we said, are you the pilot or the passenger of your finances? Now, I came across doing this episode just simply because when I was doing some research on the financial infidelity episode, I had came across a few things where there were examples when the man in the house was not running the finances and took a hands-off approach to doing the finances in the house, whether it was paying the bills, just monitoring how much money was coming in and going out. And there were a couple of examples that I did, and one I gave on that particular podcast, but that were led to disaster just simply because the men had taken a hands-off approach to their finances, where the woman, because she was more educated in, say, accounting or a degree that dealt with finance or something, you know, ran up a bunch of credit card debt. And so in some instances, it was more than once. But since they were thinking along the lines of, well, since that's her profession, she knows what she's doing. And it led to disaster for them. So I figured, why not put this on the men and just say, hey, do you take any approach of, to it at all? So when I'm saying, are you the pilot? That just means basically, are you flying the plane? Now, when it comes to managing our finances, a lot of times, I say a lot of times, what ends up happening is, if we're single, obviously we're going to do it. But usually if you get together with someone and y'all decide to get married, the person that usually does it is usually agreed upon by, you know, the, the couple might say, okay, since you like to do it, you can do it. And the other person says, I don't really like to deal with the money. So the, it's, it's not, they just do it just based upon which one they think will do a better job at it. But truth be told, it's a two-person job in a two-person household. I don't think that there's a situation to where one person should just do everything. It should be done in a situation where everybody has some say as to what's going on. One of the easier ways to, to do things, and I'm using a pilot-passenger analogy just simply because I'm not an aviation guy, nor am I a finance guy for that matter, but... This is just some things that I've observed, and I point out, obviously, we go through numbers, and then we 
talk about a few different things pertaining upon the numbers that we get. And we just say, hey, this is something that I do or someone that other people have done and had success with. So it's not necessarily advice as much as it's saying, hey, this is another way. So you can just give it some thought. But it's called that because when it comes to a, a pilot flying a plane, generally speaking, they, you know, they, they get on a runway, they take off, and they get the plane up in the air. And once it reaches its uh, sort of cruising altitude, they kind of put the plane on autopilot. And the plane is sort of, the computer basically takes over. And if you're a passenger on the plane, I, I believe, now this isn't, don't quote me 100% on this, but I believe that once the plane reaches the cruising altitude, usually the pilot will take the seatbelt sign, or go off, so meaning that you can start to get up and move around inside the plane now that we've reached a certain point. And, and that's, that's basically what the, the flying the plane, and it goes on what we call autopilot. Well, if you're a passenger, you have no control over whether or not that plane goes up in the air, comes down. You're giving control to, you know, someone who's an expert in that field, which is the pilot. So in the United States, we generally do that pertaining to our investment. Sometimes we will entrust our money with someone who's an expert in the field and they will make investment choices for us. Here, we're talking about your daily bills and budgets and things like that. We're talking about those things, not necessarily the finance aspect of it pertaining to how much you're going to invest, where you're going to invest it. So we're more or less talking about paying your bills. So when I said in the intro, are your expenses on autopilot? What I'm basically talking about there is do you have your bills come out of your check automatically or electronically? So a bill might be due on a certain date. And when that bill is due, it automatically comes out of your check or of your checking account on that specific day. Or it might come off of a debit card. That's sort of putting the expenses on autopilot where there's a specific date the bill is due. When that date comes around, it automatically comes out your check. And that's saying this are your, your expenses on autopilot. And the reason why that's a somewhat of a successful strategy is just simply because you're not necessarily paying the bill. They're kind of taking the bill. So it just automatically comes right out and there's not a whole lot that you have to really do. It's sort of hands off. You just get the, have the money comes out, the bill is paid until the, the following month. Now, truth be told with myself, I'm still a little old school. Some situations I do electronically where we do it, uh, where they automatically come out. But there's still some that I will actually write a check to and send it in the mail. You know, sometimes I do it that way. And it's not a bunch of them, but there's still some that I do that way. I don't know why I do it. I think more or less right at this point is habit because you can literally pay everything online if you want. So, but yes, I still sometimes do it the old school way. It has not failed me. I'm, I guess, semi-responsible with it because I really don't pay something that way. So I just figure 
If it works for me, I'm just going to continue to do it. And if that old school style of way works for you, there's nothing wrong with it. Just go ahead and continue to do it. So that's just basically when I say, you're, are you putting your bills on autopilot? Or, all that basically means is, are you paying them electronically? So in a marriage or relationship, you might have a situation to where you tell your spouse, hey, I'm paying these bills. You're going to pay these bills. And if we set it up automatically, we'll know that they're paid. One thing that you can do as a man, if you are, you know, you're married and you, you want to just make sure your spouse is paying those particular bills. And a lot of times it can send you a notification once the bill has been paid. It'll come right across your phone and just say the bill was paid or bills due. And you can remind each other, you know, did you pay that particular bill or that bill is coming due? Are you going to make sure you pay it, this, that, and the other? And I think that will alleviate some of the problems. Now, I know certain men who are not necessarily good with numbers, but they take sort of a hands-off approach when it comes to finances because it might be a little difficult for them. Maybe they struggled with math or topics like that in school, and they're good breadwinners, meaning they're good at maybe earning money, but actually managing it is another story. And that's partly one of the reasons why we want to do this episode. We want to try and make it a little bit easier for people like that because there are several people who don't even want to be bothered with it. And I understand because it can get a little nerve-wracking and a little uh, aggravating. And if you don't have enough money, obviously frustrating. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this particular topic and saying about putting your, your bills on automatic pilot, as we say, where they automatically come out. Now, in the United States, we have a very high debt level. Uh, one of the episodes I did with Marcus, I believe it was, Don't Let Debt Destroy Your Dreams. We talked about the American debt in the United States household of $14.7 trillion. But if we just specifically looked at credit cards, credit card debt, which generally carries the highest interest, Americans owe about $756 billion dollars in credit card debt. That's a very, very high number. I don't have in front of me the average credit card balance per couple or individuals, but it's, it's pretty high. Uh, there's been times where I've seen it as high as eight, $16,000. We're just not good savers. And we tend to run up a lot of debt as a country doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. It's just what we do. So there have been a few different strategies on how do we overcome these type of situations. And one of them that's popped up has, be, has gained popularity over the past several years is one that's called the 50-30-20 rule of budgeting. Now, this rule actually became popularized by the Senator Elizabeth Warren way back when, when she wrote a book and with her daughter, I believe. And I believe the book was entitled All Your Worth, The Ultimate Lifetime Money Plan is what that th the title of the book was. And it's just a, a, a rough guide to basically track your spending and make sure that your, your money is going where it needs to be. 
And basically what it does is it's a budgeting method that can help you manage your money efficiently, simply, and sustainably. The rule is simply divide your monthly after-tax, importance after-tax income into three spending categories, 50% for your needs, 30% for your wants, and 20% for savings and paying off debt. So that's where the term 50, 30, 20 comes from. Now, you have to decide at this point, where does this number, what, what are these things broken down into? Well, needs is very simple. Needs are things that you cannot live without, or at least have a very difficult time living without them. And that's basically shelter. You know, whether you pay a rent money or you pay a mortgage, your groceries, your utilities, electricity, water, sewer services, type of things there. Those are needs. And what that's basically saying is you should not be spending more than 50% of your after-tax income on your needs. So that's basically the the, the breakdown of the the 50% part. It covers things that you have to have, make it very difficult to live without. Your wants are basically desires. You don't actually need them in order to survive but they're more or less like wants. So it could be vacations, eating out, cable, different type of cable and streaming services, such as say if you have Netflix or Hulu or any of these different streaming platforms that's available now, those are all wants because you can technically live without those things. You can, you can, you can live the rest of your life and not ever have to dine out unless you want to. You don't necessarily have to take vacations. You sort of want to. You might have a very expensive hobby, something maybe you play golf or you do something you have to pay. Those are all expensive type things. That's, those are what we, we call wants. So your wants are things that you don't have to have, but they make your life better for you personally. And that's that 30%. The 20% like I said earlier, is for just simply paying off and de- paying off debts and saving for things such as retirement or for a house or for your kids' college uh, savings funds. Now, most people will tell you if you're on a job, whether you're an advisor or anything, they'll basically say you should at least contribute as much to get the company match if you have a 401k plan, and that just simply means that if your company is going to be giving you 5% in your 401k plan, you should be investing a minimum of 5% because that's the full match. So you'll be getting 10% where they will be getting, they're giving you five and you're giving five. Now, obviously you want to even do more if you can. So for instance, if you went up to say 10% and the company gave you five, you're investing 15% towards retirement, which is a pretty good number. It's pretty good. I get you, I get you in a game and you'll be, you should be in pretty good shape. Obviously, if you can do more than that, you go up more if you can't, but that's, that's okay. That's just a, you know, a rough estimate number. 
Now, if you still owe a lot of bills, such as uh, credit cards or different things like that, student loans, that's the part where we'd be paying off debt. So let's just say, for an example, using this rule, uh, you had the 20% and you say, I'm going to put 10% towards my retirement and I'm going to put 10% towards paying off my student loan debt and credit cards. That would be the other 10% of the 20% would go to that. And then once you pay some of those things off, you can easily go right ahead and uh, once that stuff is paid off, you can go ahead and put that money towards uh, the, the investments. So after you paid the 20%, you can put the money towards the investments. Uh, after you paid the, uh, the 10% off, and that, that you can add that to your 20% is what I'm basically trying to say. So that's, that's one way that the rule is basically broken down and how you can use it. The one other thing here pertaining to this is how can you use it as a budgeting strategy? Well, you know, we talked about in an episode, I believe with Marcus on the debt, don't let debt destroy your dreams about how much of your take home pay, your, your house should come up to. We used a gross pay number, but, and we basically said no more like roughly 25 to 30% of your gross pay. But a household, like if you, you have a household income and you live in a house, if you can get that number, the lower the number, the better. Because let's just say, for instance, in that 50%, your mortgage is, say, 25 or 30% of your take-home pay of your household income, then that leaves you with 20% towards the electricity, utilities, uh, sewer services, and groceries. So you should come actually a little bit under that 50% pertaining to those type of things. Now, some people might say, where does a car fit into this? I guess it would fall under a want just simply because you don't necessarily have to have a car. Now, some people will say, I have to have a car to get to work, but depending on where you live, but generally speaking, it's still, you know, considered, I guess, a convenience or a luxury item. So if you do have a car, that would probably fall under the wants. So a strategy that I've heard before used pertaining to cars is that try and keep the car to be no more than 8 to 10% of your take-home pay as far as the car payment. So if we put that under the wants category, that car payment would be, let's say, of that 30%, maybe took 10% of it. So that still leaves you with 20% for your wants. So you would still have that for vacations, dining out, and your streaming services, cell phone services, or things to that effect. You want to try and streamline some of those bills just simply because you don't want to be in a situation where you have a very high uh, cell phone or a bill like something along those lines that is cutting so deep into your 30%, it's going to affect you from doing other things on that want list. So that's the breakdown of it. We pertain to that 50, 30, 20 rule, how it can be used essentially as a budgeting strategy to kind of help you is, like I said, we want to keep your mortgage rate relatively as low as you possibly can, but it's going to come out of that 50%. And there's a few other things that you can do as well. Now, also under that investing part that I kind of forgot to mention, 
That 20% one also applies to saving, if you have children, saving for their college and sort of a 529 plan or something like that. So the problem is, is if you have a lot of credit card debt and you have to pay that off, you won't be able to contribute that percentage to your, your kid's college. Now, I remember when I first got married and we had my child, the first child there, it was in the beginning stages, it was a little tough to, you know, contribute. So I basically did to the 529 plan. Whenever I had extra money, I would put it in there, but it was not budgeted. But then as I, you know, the time went on, I was able to, you know, set aside a certain dollar amount. But initially, no. And there's no, I, the ideal situation is as soon as a child is born, you can start. But most people don't do that, honestly. Sometimes a child will get to two, three, four, five, and, you know, even later than that. But I do say this pertaining to saving for in a 529 college plan for your children. And obviously, there's been some debt forgiveness going on, but that's still, you know, in some cases, it still isn't going to be enough. So, but what I will say is that some people might say, well, I only saved 10 or $20,000. And, you know, college costs way more than that. You know, but I always tell people that's 10 to $20,000 you don't have to pay. When the child graduates from college. So anything that you save in those type of plans is going to be beneficial to you just simply because that's money you don't have to pay back with interest. That's money you made with interest. So anytime you contribute money like that, that's going to only benefit you. So the last part, I guess I want to get into pertaining to this. And let me just go back a little bit. When I'm saying this, I'm not necessarily saying that men, you have to be in complete control of your finances. If you're in a marriage where you're kind of ruling with an iron fist, the purpose of this episode is just to make you aware that you should have some say in it, meaning don't take a hands off approach. Don't be the passenger. If you don't want to be the pilot, per se, at least be the co-pilot. Have some say as to what it is that's going on in your house, because ultimately it's going to fall back on you. So you're the man, head of household. It's going to fall back on you. So you have to take control of this. And even if the other person is better at managing the money than you are, it doesn't matter. You still should be have a, some say as to what goes on. Don't just turn your check over to someone and say, here, pay the bills. Because I don't want to be bothered with that. I got other things to do. Don't do that. That is, will lead to disaster because a lot of times, sometimes we give people that kind of control They'll do it their own way. They'll make mistakes. It's a, it has to be something that you sit down and talk about. And I talk about it all the time. If you're considering marriage, that's stuff you need to talk about before you get married. Don't do it or come up with a strategy after you've been married. It's better to do it when you've been married, before you get married, rather. Uh, the last part I just want to talk about is how you can use this 50-30-20 rule to prepare for retirement. So we're just going to focus based on that. We're going to focus on primarily that 20% part. And we were talking about the matching dollars of a 401k plan. But obviously, there's other investments. So let's just say you got your kids college money coming out. You paid off all your debt, your student loan debt. And you're putting 10% or so into your investments. That leaves you with another 10%. Maybe, maybe say you're putting... 12 or 13% in your investment. So you still have 7% of that 20% of your take home pay. You can set up another retirement account. 
why not consider a Roth IRA, which takes post-tax dollars, which is those after-tax dollars, and you can invest those, that money. And when you comes time to retire and withdraw from it, which I believe the age is 59 and a half, that money is tax-free. You don't pay taxes on that money. That money is essentially all yours. And I believe you don't even have to withdraw any of it until you turn 70, where there is a required minimum distribution. But prior to that, so that depends on how long you want to have it. And what's also good about that Roth IRA, which is a really good thing, is I've seen people use it as part of an emergency fund sometimes, and in a sense where because you're allowed to take out uh, for a first-time home, you can take money out of a Roth IRA, And I think in some instances, it can also be used for education purposes. So there's obviously there's a lot of different loans that you can use when you are uh, buying a home. You know, there's first time home buyers programs. There's the USDA loans that require zero percent or very little down There's VA loans. But these these particular uh, this particular thing here is can be used in, in, in a variety of different settings. So with the Roth IRA. If you need money for the down payment, such as the FHA loan, they might require three, three and a half percent. You can take the money out of that for first time home purchase. So it does have some benefits as you're saving up for retirement. So if some disaster strikes and last I checked, I'm not 100 percent certain on this. I don't think they've changed it much, but the principal money that you put into that. I believe you can take out tax-free. Now, don't quote me on that, but because that used to be the case. I don't know if it still is. But if you had the principal, you know, something happened and you had an emergency, such as let's just say you had a, uh, a big major repair to the home or a car or something like that. If the principal, the principal, the money you put in, you can't take that money out tax-free out of a Roth IRA. And like I said, unless it changed, which I don't believe it did. So it's almost like a, an emergency savings account, but the more you have in it when it comes time to retire, you'll have that money in there and you will not have to pay taxes on the withdrawal. So the important thing here, what I want to express pertaining to this 50-30-20 rule is make sure if you stick to it, it'll be good. So you lower those credit card payments, get the student loan debt under control. That's more money you have to invest in yourself and more money you can put towards your kid's college education. That frees up that extra money. Now, don't do like I did before in the past where I would pay off a credit card and then go charge up something else and pay off the credit card to go charge up something else. Try to keep your credit card balances low and try and be able to pay them off within a 30-day period if you can. And that'll cut down on that, you know, so that'll break that cycle, as they say, of... Of, of doing that. So don't, don't, don't get in the habit of doing that. What I was just describing. And we're, we're just about going to wrap up here. I, I just, I just want to cover again, uh, just go over really quickly the objectives that I talked about, and then we'll cover, uh, we'll finish up. And we just, we're talking about men. You should need to be the pilot or at least the co-pilot of your finances. Do not just turn over everything to your spouse or girlfriend or somebody else. You need to be in charge of the daily running of the household pertaining to the finances. The investing side, if you want to get some help with an advisor, you know, like we have Desmond on the show before, someone like that, that can help you with actually investing the money, that 20% part, great, absolutely. 
But if you, as far as the everyday household expenses, that's got to be on you. We talked about putting it on autopilot, meaning that the bills will come out of your check uh, electronically. You don't have to worry about it. It just automatically comes out. And that's a good, you know, good thing to do. And we talked about the 50, 30, 20 strategy, which is 50% goes to your needs. 30% goes to your wants and 20% goes to investing and paying off debt. And we said how you can use the 50, 30, 20 rule towards retirement. Obviously, you're going to have some of that money going to a 401k that has a company match. If they do have that match, you want to put as much in there as you can. And then if you have money left over after your debt is paid for, you could use an investment vehicle such as a Roth IRA, which will take that after tax dollars, invest it, and you will not pay taxes on the withdrawal if you retire at 59 and a half after that age. So. That is what we just talked about today. We're finishing up. We are doing a few new things. There's going to be a couple of uh, promotions being ran on some podcast uh, platforms, and I'll let you know what they are coming up soon. And when we get those out there, I'll tell you how to go to them and where to go and how to get there and subscribe if you want to subscribe to those. That helps me. The more subscribers, the better. So that's what this is all about, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, the listens count, but the subscribers are, they, those are, they count those as people, you know, so the, the listeners, you know, one person can listen to 10 or 12 different episodes. That's just one person. So they look at those subscribers. So if you haven't subscribed, when you listen to the program, just hit subscribe. If you're on Spotify, hit follow that plus button or follow button. If you're on Apple, hit the plus button, which is to follow. That does matter. And other ones that say subscribe, subscribe to Google Podcast, all of those. With all of that being said, we are about to wrap up and we should have a guest on next week's episode. I think I have it lined up for next week or the week after. I think I got two in a row, so we'll see. So with all of that being said, we are out. See ya. <laughs>